you please rise in body or in spirit for our reading of the gospel in the 21st chapter of John. Listen for what God is saying to us today. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but his disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered, no. He said to them, well, cast your net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and, and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, so feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt, go wherever you wished. But when you grew old, when you grow old, 
You'll stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you, take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death which he would glor- by which he would glorify God. After he said this to him, follow me. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The most interesting things happen right when you are heading out the door. At least that's what I fear whenever I'm at a party or a church event or really any gathering of two or more people. It normally goes like this. There is some event in the evening following a long day of work. I'm exhausted. I say, you know, I'll just go for part of the time. I'll leave early. I don't need to be there the full three hours. And somehow, invariably, I'm still there packing up the leftovers and putting the chairs away and helping the host wash the dishes if they'll let me. I forget that every time, as an extrovert, I will have my batteries charged by a group of people. Most of you have noticed that Ellen Stockstill and I take two cars to church. Our marriage is stronger for it. (laughs) I like to linger. I like to collapse bone-tired on the couch with the other stragglers after the crowds have gone. There's something so special about the quiet and the conversation after the rush and the crowds. The last days had been exhausting for Jesus and his disciples. There were crowds humming around them all the time. So much excitement around Jesus. Remember the great crowd that celebrated him into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Remember the shouts, the hosannas. Remember the the betrayal, the terrifying drama when Judas showed up with a detachment of soldiers and police with lanterns and torches and weapons and they bound Jesus and led him away. Remember the fear, the shattering of hope and relationships, the death. Remember how the disciples were in hiding for days, locked in fear and darkness. Remember how suddenly the crucified, dead, and buried Jesus appeared alive again and stood in the midst of his disciples and they rejoiced and then he was gone. The highs and the lows were extreme. The sorrow was such that the world has never known. The joy at the resurrection was truly incomprehensible. The Gospel of John has been our guide through this most amazing and exhausting journey. John wound down his story of Jesus saying, Now Jesus did many other signs and in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. The crowds have now dispersed, the drama settling, 
But the story isn't over. Some time has passed since Jesus was with Thomas and the gang. We don't know how much, but enough time for the disciples to try to get back to some kind of ordinary life, to take the baby steps in the new normal. They can't just stay holed up in a dark room forever, telling the story of their journey with Jesus over and over again. They have to move on. Peter has gotten restless. Takes a deep breath, stands up and says, I'm going fishing. So they go fishing. This is the struggle of many a Christian who has a dramatic encounter with Jesus Christ. He comes to us in his word and by the power of his spirit through the church, through his modern disciples, or maybe through an amazing trip or a piece of art or that one hymn that gets you every time. Something of God touches us moves us, brings tears to our eyes, and then it passes. We are changed, and yet not much around us has. Several years ago, we visited Sequoia National Park in California. The sequoia trees are overwhelmingly awe-inspiring. They are massive, ancient, living, connected in their roots, and they communicate with each other. They thrive in this one unique environment. They flourish in fire. One tree, called the General Sherman, is 275 feet tall. Now, just for perspective, um, the top of the cross is about 90 feet. It's over 36 feet in diameter. It weighs over 4 million pounds, and it's almost 3,000 years old. The tree is older than Jesus by far, and it's still alive. And there are around us in this forest many more. Talk about perspective. I keep a picture in my office and in my Bible of that forest so that when I feel stressed or worried, I can remember the incredible peace-inspiring awe of being in the presence of those sequoias. We all have these kinds of encounters with the holy, experiences that totally rock our world. Sometimes it's as simple as a sunset. Other times, it's a devastating loss. They upend us. They transform us. We are left irrevocably changed. And yet, someone needs to make supper, to pay the bills, feed the cat, take the trash out. Jesus was resurrected from the dead They'd seen him, looked at his wounds, received his spirits, and now they're fishing. Jesus comes to us not to take us out of this world, but to show us how to be in this world. I couldn't 
stand staring at the sequoias forever. We had to come back down that mountain. But guess what, beloved? Jesus, who takes us to the top of the mountain and shows us the wonders of eternity, Jesus, who goes to the pit of death with us, God, who is the author of the beauties and the wonders of this life, walks with us back into the new normal as well. He joins us as he joins his disciples back in the day-to-day of life. Well, everything has changed for the disciples. Some things stayed the same. They still couldn't catch any fish. Peter still liked to fish naked. And the disciples still had trouble recognizing Jesus. He stood there on the beach. They didn't know it was him until he said with a smile, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some fish. And so they did, and they weren't able to haul it in because there were so many fish. They were back in the daily grind, and there Jesus found them. He showed them that there is still abundance and wonder even in these ordinary days. John said, it's the Lord. And Peter was dressed and overboard in the blink of an eye, leaving the rest of the gang to drag in the nets. God isn't just with us on the top of the mountain. God isn't just with us in the crowds and the political and religious dramas. God comes to us in the simple times, sticks around after the party is wrapped up, helps us find the way after our world has been rocked. Jesus had made a fire while they were out fishing. And here is an image that you don't find in religious art or in stained glass windows, but I'd like to see Jesus out gathering logs, picking up kindling to make a fire for us, stacking the charcoal, getting his hands dirty, toasting some bread. Come have breakfast, he says. I met Billy shortly after he had had a powerful conversion experience. Billy had struggled with substance use disorders, abusing drugs and alcohol. He was on the brink of losing his family when someone invited him to church. He had heard about, he heard about Jesus in ways that he'd never had before. He learned that God loved him, that God was forgiving, that God had a family for him to find meaning and belonging in. Billy heard about Jesus and found the gospel to be healing and inspiring. His conversion was fast, and he began to talk to everyone he could about what God had done for him. He got baptized. He was all in. He talked to me about how he felt God was about to do something even more amazing. He was going to come any day now, and there would be a revival in the whole town, and everyone would worship Jesus. Billy was on the mountaintop, and months turned to years, and Billy continued to go to church, expecting that any minute now the heavens would burst open like we heard in Revelation. 
It was exciting to hear Billy's hopeful anticipation. It reminded me of the early Christians who thought that Jesus was going to return any second, and, and, and he could. Billy inspired me, and I loved to hear about his faith and all that he was doing to share God's love. And I also worried that Billy would not be able to sustain this level of expectation because he still had to go to the kitchen every day. He still had to pay the bills, put the kids to bed, take the car to the shop, go to those meetings. When Billy would talk breathlessly about how awesome God is and, and that he knows any day now there will be that revival, I would also try to encourage him to look for the little revivals in life that happen every day. The wonders of God short of the heavens ripping open and the choirs of angels descending. I said, Billy, remember that Jesus also sat quietly on the beach and ate fish grilled over the open fire. Billy was all about the Jesus of the resurrection, all about the mountaintop experiences. But Jesus, who walks down the mountain with us, plants himself on the beach and says, hey, yeah, come have some breakfast. Billy wasn't so interested in that Jesus. But in this moment, this time, as the story seems to be winding down, when Jesus had finished breakfast, he takes a moment, looks at his disciple and asks him, do you love me? It's often while washing dishes after the dinner party, the car ride home, the hike down the mountain, lingering by a flickering fire after a good meal, when the real power of relationship shines. It is the simple, the day-to-day, -day, the usual, that Jesus puts to us the real question. And how about now? Do you love me now? Peter's had a chance to look, in this moment, to look Jesus in the face, and he sees his own reflection in the eye of our Lord and has a chance to give a straight answer. There is deep comfort to me in this image of the beach breakfast. Most of my favorite parts of this life are in these hanging out moments. They are the moments that I find myself most wishing could go on longer. So when my wandering heart gets to thinking about what happens next after this life here, I'm not really all in for the images of the heavens bursting open and the chaotic revival and the choirs of angels. It's a little overwhelming and exhausting, especially after this life we lead. But when I'm carried through the sea from this world to the next, I see Jesus sitting on the sand by a fire that he's built for me with bread already warm. My loved ones coming ashore in time, dragging our nets full of all the wonders we've known and collected in this life. Jesus gesturing our way, pats the sand next to him. Bring some of that fish you've just caught. That life you just lived so well. Bring it over here. Come and have breakfast. 
Amen.